morning, TLC. Uh, we are in our series on First Peter, and uh, we're going to do something that we don't do uh, every week. In fact, we don't do this most weeks, but uh, today I'm going to ask everyone if they would please stand and grab your Bibles. We're going to start by standing and reading our text together as a way to honor God's Word this morning. It will be on the screen, but if you have your phones or your paper Bible, like I do, which is falling apart, you are welcome to follow along with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For, and he goes on to quote Isaiah, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. So this morning, what I'd like to do is pay attention to four of the word images that Peter has given us in this passage. Now, truth be told, there's probably like 10, 11, or 12 word images that Peter gives to us, and we don't have time to focus on every single one of them, but there are four in particular that I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, I want TLC to pay attention to. I'm not telling you that these are the four most important word images in the text. I'm simply telling you that they are four very important word images in the text. And I'd like for us to go through them one by one as we walk through this. Now, uh, at the beginning of 1 Peter, this is a few weeks ago that we spent time kind of going through our introduction in the beginning, Peter actually tells us what God is like. Okay, there's kind of a a movement kind of in verse 3 of who God is, to now here in verse 13, he says, therefore, all right, which is kind of now who we're supposed to be. And then when we get to chapter 2, Peter's then going to kind of turn the therefore what we're supposed to be into how in the world are we supposed to be that, okay? How we can become who we are to be. So what I'd like to do is 
kind of look at those four word pictures from the text this morning. The first one is actually in verse 14. I'm going to start reading in verse 13 just to give us a little bit of the context. Peter says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, in other words, pay attention, wake up, look around, don't get distracted. He says, set your hope on the grace that's going to be brought to you when Christ is returned and is coming. In other words, you've become believers in Jesus, but Jesus has not yet returned. And so just pay attention, be ready for that hope that's still coming. That was a word for the folks that Peter was writing to, and it's a word for us today. And he says, as a result of that, we have become obedient children. And so he then says, do not conform to the evil desires. Conformed is our first word picture this morning. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Uh, How many of you guys actually grew up going to church? That's a lot of you. So most of you are going to kind of have an idea of what I'm about to talk about, the church potluck. I don't know why we don't do more church potlucks. Church potlucks are a thing, baby. I'm just saying, like, you get three amazing things. Number one, you get casseroles. You're not allowed to bring an actual dish. It's got to be like three or four dishes put together called a casserole. Got to have a casserole. Second thing is you got to have the dessert table. The dessert table is banging. It's like the best part of a church potluck. Dessert's like crazy. You can even start there. It's almost theological because you should always start with dessert because you never know when Jesus is coming back. It could be in Italian, you know what I'm saying? So the third thing that you're always going to get at a church potluck is things Put inside of Jello. That's what you get. Anytime I think of the church potluck, I think of Jello. And you know, whenever I hear that word conformed, I think of the Jello mold. When you pour the liquid into this and then you make it cold, it molds to whatever thing you have stuck it in. I asked Brenda yesterday if she could help me out and, and make me some Jello. And I thought I was going to need two for each service. So we had one jello mold, and then we had one container that then she stuck a uh, can of beans in the middle so that we could try to make another mold. It, it didn't work very well. But this one has worked for both services. So thank you, baby. A jello mold. Uh, did you know that our brains are actually a lot like jello? They're moldable. The things, it's kind of the opposite, though. Uh, with, uh, with Jell-O, it's what you put it in is what it becomes. With our brains, it's what you put into them is what they become. Uh, we're actually formed by what we allow in. Uh, Peter actually mentions this right here. Peter says, don't be conformed by the evil desires that you used to have. Don't let those things shape your brain. Do you know that what you do, what you eat, the habits that you produce actually shape your brain? And we have the ability to reshape our brains. Just like if I was to heat up that jello again and put it in a different mold, I could reshape it. We have the ability to reshape our brain. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I am saying that it's possible. There's been all kinds of research on this. Uh, in fact, there's a book um, that my mentor and I were reading called You Are Not Your Brain. A great book for uh, those of you like me who struggle with sin at times. Uh, It's written by a guy named Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz and Dr. Rebecca Gladding. Uh, She has some wonderful research that she shares 
within this book of how our brains can actually shift and change and be reshaped and how necessary that is. Paul actually talks about this as well in Romans. He says, uh, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, the things that we allow ourselves to be around, to be in, to come in through our mouth, through our ears, through our eyes, through the emotions, those things shape us. And Paul says, don't be conformed like jello to the mold of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our Peter says, don't be conformed by the evil desires that you used to have when you were ignorant. A lot of people hear that word ignorant like, oh, that's kind of mean. No, it's not mean at all, actually. Ignorant just means you didn't know. It doesn't mean you're stupid or dumb or foolish. It just means you didn't know. Now you know. So don't continue to be formed by those things. Uh, there's a couple of uh, quotes. You've probably heard them before. They're a little cliche, but I also think they have the ring of truth. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. It's cliche, but pretty doggone accurate. Uh, you tend to be the average of your five best friends. Cliche, but pretty accurate. The first word image that Peter gives us is conformed. How is your brain being conformed? How is your life being conformed? What environments are you putting yourself into? Because those things will shape you. What do you allow into your life, into your mind? Because those things shape you. What things do we need to work at cutting out so that we can be reshaped? We have to recognize the molds so that we can break them. We can't act like we used to before Jesus or act like those who live without him. This is word picture number one. Now, I'm going to give you four this morning, but I'm not expecting you to engage with all four. What I'd like you to do is simply, in this moment, ask God, God, what's the one that I need to be paying attention to? So, for some of you, it might be our first word picture, the picture of a mold. What am I putting into my life? How is that shaping me? Who are the people that I'm allowing to influence me? The things that I'm listening to and watching is that the image you need to pay attention to this morning. The next one actually comes in the very next verse, verse 15. I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Can anybody guess what word we're going to focus on there? No, written. I'm just kidding. <laughs> holy, yeah. Now, let's be honest, man. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word holy, like it kind of creeps me out a little bit, and I'm a pastor. Right? Because whenever I hear the word holy, I often assume it means to be morally perfect. And there's some truth in that. God is morally perfect. We're supposed to be holy because God is holy. But I, I feel honestly really overwhelmed when I think of that. I preached last week on fighting sin. The fact that, that, that I need to, that you need to, that we all need to, and we need to do it together. If 
if I was morally perfect, I, I wouldn't have even needed to preach that message. I would have already beaten it. There would be no fight left. But I'm not there. And so when I hear this word holy, a lot of times when I assume that it's speaking only of moral perfection, I feel like a failure, like legit failure, like I shouldn't be up here. I know who I am. I know the things that I struggle with and wrestle with, things that I'm going to have to fight till the day that I die. And you know those things for you as well. Within the context of what's going on here, I don't want to water it down. Peter is saying, look, we got work to do. There is a calling that we are supposed to be pursuing. There is a bar of holiness. Truth is, none of us are ever able to meet it. It's why we needed Jesus. It's why the gospel is such good news, because none of us could get there, but Jesus got there for us. But Peter also says, now because you've been given holiness, there is still something we're supposed to go after, right? He is, this is within the context of like getting rid of not being conformed to the evil desires that we used to have. But holiness is more than just moral perfection. Uh, listen to the definition of holiness. In the New Testament, the word for holy is hagios. And it means set apart, reverend or revered, sacred and worthy of veneration. Our first word is the word conformed. Our second word is the word holy. And I'd like to give you a picture, just like we had the jello mold for conformed. I'd like to give you a picture of holiness, this concept of being set apart. I got two pieces of wood here. This, this is a piece of oak. Uh, it actually uh, came from uh, the property that our house was built on. When, when the guy who built our house in the eight, early 80s cut it down, uh, he sawed some of the, those pieces into some lumber, uh, just really random kind of odd shapes, and, and stuck them up in the attic. And they've been up there for the last 40 years. And so this past spring, I started taking them out of the attic. So I was like, uh, not doing any good up there, but they weren't really nice enough to do a whole lot with. And so uh, let me tell you what I've been using this piece for. Uh, the first thing that I used this piece for was uh, to get rid of some cobwebs because I don't want to touch them myself. And then when I was getting rid of the cobwebs, there was a spider, and I was like, so I, <laughs> I took that spider out. So uh, this thing has uh, also killed a spider, gotten rid of some cobwebs. And uh, the other day, uh, I had these two pieces of metal that I was trying to separate, and they didn't want to come apart. And so I didn't have a hammer, but I did have this oak board, and so I... I beat them and it came apart, and so it's good for that. And a little bit later this summer, I'm actually going to throw it in a pizza oven and make some pizza with it, burn this thing up. I also have this piece of wood. This is a piece of highly flamed, AAA graded koa that's been quarter sawn and book matched and will one day turn into a guitar. My wife bought me this piece of wood a little over 20 years ago as a Christmas gift. This wood came from Hawaii, was carefully cut, was then shipped to California where it was cut down, sanded, and dried, and then was sent to me where I joined it together and have been carefully holding on to this piece of wood for over 20 years, multiple moves. In fact, just to get it from my house, the five or six miles from my house here this morning, I actually 
put it within these two pieces of wood because I didn't want anything to happen to this. Why? Because this wood is valuable. It's been set apart. I have a purpose for this wood. When you think of the word holy, I also want you to remember that you too have been set apart. Maybe you used to think your life was like this before Jesus, and it could just be used for whatever. It wasn't that big of a deal. You're just an animal. It doesn't matter how you use it. But Jesus has said, no, 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 no. I want you to be like me, set apart. There's value, use, which actually brings us to our third word this morning, which we find in verse 18, verse 18. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The third word is the word redeemed. Now, uh, this word redeemed, um, well, let me give you another picture, okay? Uh, this right here was my grandfather's guitar. He gave it to my sister. My sister let me borrow it today. Um, this was a guitar that my grandpa found about 70 years ago at um, kind of a junk shop estate sale kind of a thing. And he uh, needed a guitar, and so uh, he saw it. And he's like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a nice guitar. Uh, but it was like in disrepair. Um, didn't have a bridge on it. There were no strings. Had some cracks in it. It's just collecting dust in, in somebody's uh, attic. And so he bought this and he bought a violin, kind of in the same condition for $25. And he bought it because he's like, hey, I think that guitar is actually worth something. And that violin's decent too. So if I buy both of them for 25 bucks, I bet I can sell the violin and get the guitar for free. And that's basically what he did. I don't know what he sold the violin for, but basically about the cost of what he paid for both instruments. And he kept this and used it to lead worship at the church plant that he was planting in the UP. My grandpa saw what somebody else thought was a, just a discarded kind of old piece of junk. Didn't work anymore, didn't have any use, was simply collecting dust, wasn't being used for how it was originally intended. And my grandpa actually wound up getting it fixed up eventually put a new bridge and strings on it because my uh, grandpa saw that it was a C.F. Martin guitar. And not just any Martin guitar, but a Martin guitar from the 1860s. It was worth thousands of dollars, made with Brazilian rosewood on the back, wood that you almost can't even get anymore. And what's more than that, it wasn't simply that the fact that this guitar was valuable. It actually has an incredibly rare original C.F. Martin coffin case that's almost worth more than the guitar itself. You see, what my grandfather understood is that what somebody else saw as not worthy, not valuable, he saw the value in it, and so he purchased it. And he didn't just purchase this, he purchased it and then restored it, refurbished it, repurposed it reminded it of what it was originally intended for. 
made it even better than it had been. That's what it means to be redeemed. You see, Peter says to us, hey, we we can't be conformed by our sinful desires, or what Paul says, by the pattern of the world. Rather, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Peter says we've got to be holy, which means to be set apart. Something special about us. It's been set apart because of the value. And all of that, quite honestly, I would have put the redeemed a little bit before I put the holy. But, you know, Peter, the Holy Spirit, I guess they're probably more right than me. We have the last word, redeemed. This idea that God has bought us. And not just with silver or gold. Jesus actually paid for us with his own blood. Dying on the cross. What if the person who got rid of the guitar came back the next day and was like, yeah, you know what, that space in my closet, like, it feels really empty, and, you know, I I really don't want that thing to play music, so I'd really like it back so I can take the bridge off, remove the strings, open the cracks back up, and just stick it in the... You'd be like, no, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. This is a valuable guitar that's supposed to sing and make beautiful music. Sitting in a, in a closet's not a good thing. The same thing's true for us. This is why Peter says, hey, we can't be conformed. We've got to pay attention to the holiness that God has set us apart for, to go after this thing, to act and be like the people that God desires for us. Why? Because we've been redeemed. We've been bought, and it was a big price. Not just bought, but you don't want to go back to the old way. You don't want to be stripped of the bridge and the strings and stuck back in the closet. No, 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 you've got a purpose. You've been restored and refurbished, repurposed to do works in this life. So those are the first three. And those three all kind of connect together, right? There's one more word picture, though, that I want us to look at. It's actually how we kind of get at these lofty expectations. At the very beginning, a few weeks ago, we talked about Peter kind of describing who God is. Now he's describing what we're supposed to be. And now he's about to tell us how we can actually pursue that, how we can get after that, all right? So uh, the last word is the word crave. And we find it in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 2. He says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, I was watching this super cute little uh, six-week-old baby this past week, and the mom was trying to give this baby uh, some milk, and the baby was just screaming, wouldn't take it. All the baby wanted were some peanut M&Ms. I'm serious, man. You ever seen a six-week-old just crushing a bag of peanut M&Ms? Just fistfuls right into the mouth, just gumming those bad boys right on. No, of course not. No six-week-old can eat a bag of peanut M&Ms as much as I love the idea of that in my head right now. You guys all have that. No, what does a six-week-old want? Milk. That's what a six-week-old wants. When a a baby's experienced that, that's all that they want. You can give them an M&M, they ain't happy. If you got it to actually, if you got them to actually put it near their mouth or in their mouth, they're going to instantly spit it out. Why? Because they want milk. And this is exactly what Peter says to us. Look, if you want to be somebody who's not formed by the world or by the sinful desires, but reformed, if you want to go after holiness, recognizing that you've been set set apart, that there's value 
if you understand that you've been redeemed and restored, refurbished, repurposed, because God has things for you to do, the way to get that is to crave pure spiritual milk. You're like, all right, that's cool and kind of a weird idea. I'm not a little baby anymore. What in the world is he talking about? Well, we got to pop back just a couple of verses to the very end of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. He says, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Pure spiritual milk is a passion for God's word, a desire to understand what God says. And I don't know about you, but I feel it when I'm not engaged in God's word. I really do. And I know you're probably like, oh, you're a pastor, though. Like, you probably get into God's word, like, every day and twice on Saturday. But if you've been here for very long, you know that I'm just like you. I wrestle with it at times. I can go sometimes days, dare I say even weeks. I need to be in God's word. You want to know why? Because when I'm not, then my sinful desires do start to form me. Then I do start to forget that I've been set apart for a purpose and, and I just start using my brain, my body, my actions, the things God's given me for just any old purpose. I forget that I've been redeemed. I try to get back somehow to what I was before when I couldn't even play music. But if I want to go after these three things, I have to recognize that I've got to be in the word. That's where I get fed. That's how I grow up. That, that, that's actually where I'm going to find strength. That's what allows me to mature. And you know what, friends? Truth is, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's actually Peter quoting Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I've tasted, man, I know. I know that it's a better way to live. I've experienced that. For the last 35 years of my life, I've been trying to go after Jesus, like for real go after him. I know that that's actually what's best for me. I see when I get away from God and his word and disconnected from recognizing his presence in my life, how it affects me. And I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. You get it. You understand. So the last question I simply want to leave us with is simply, how's your milk consumption been lately? How's your milk consumption been lately? It's not a shame question. I think way too often... We hear some of these direct things in Scripture from guys like Peter. And Peter's pretty direct. I mean, you know what Peter, that dude's bold. Homeboy says stupid stuff sometimes. And then other times he says amazing things. He's not afraid to get in people's faces. And he's not afraid to get in our faces. That's the Holy Spirit. But God never comes with a word of shame. God always comes with the word of invitation. Like, yo, I died for you to experience life. That's what I gave my life for. And so I simply want to say as we close, which one of these four word images does God have for you today? It doesn't have to be all four. It shouldn't be all four. It should be one. Which one are you like, man, that's the thing. That, that's the one that I need to pay attention to. Take a second and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Okay, that's the end of the sermon. Now we're going to take a little bit of a left turn, but it's not actually a left turn because I actually think that it does flow from an application of this text. Let's talk about Roe v. Wade.
Uh, I wrestled with whether or not I wanted to say anything about it um, for a whole host of reasons. Folks within this church, folks outside of this church, uh, how we come off as followers of Jesus in this culture, I, uh, I'm grateful that Roe v. Wade was overturned. But I'm not super interested, honestly, in making abortion legal or illegal. I'm way more interested in making the idea of abortion unthinkable. But that's a very different tact, if you will. And so I want to make a couple of statements this morning. And I've been praying about this just to simply ask uh, the Holy Spirit um, to speak. And where I get it wrong, I will ask for your forgiveness and certainly his but I've been praying a lot about doing a lot of reading and thinking, and um, here's why I'm grateful that Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. A, I don't know that it does a whole lot different right away. It just kicks it back to the states, okay? But the reason that I am pro-life is because of the Bible. And you're like, all right, cool, prove it to me. That should be your first question, not just, well, that's what my grandparents are, and that's what my church is, and what does the Bible have to say? The reason that I'm pro-life is because of the very beginning of Scripture when it says that God created Adam and Eve in his image, that male and female were created in the image of God. By being created in the image of God, humanity is uniquely carrying that image and therefore also uniquely has, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? a value that God inherently imbues in us. And as a result, I have to care about life. I have to be pro-life. Now, let me say something about this. There are men and women in this church that have had abortions. Most of us will never know if that was you. I want to say something to you. Forgiveness is available. And for the vast majority of you, I guarantee forgiveness has already been granted. And you are welcome here. This is a place for you to be and belong. No matter what is in your past, no matter even what is in your present or your future, this is a safe place for you to be. I also want to say something, church. We can't sit in some high chair looking down on folks. I have never met a woman who chose to have an elected abortion that it was not one of the most agonizing decisions that they've ever made. Do I think that it was wrong? I do. Because I think that's what the Bible teaches, that because we're made in the image of God, there is an inherent value in life. But I also want to say this, if we're going to be pro-life, we have to be pro-whole life. So we have to care about life from conception to resurrection. And so we very much should care about the abortion issue, but we should recognize that there's more to it than simply abortion. 
How are we as the church going to step into this issue and step into foster care, step into adoption, step into uh, um, fighting uh, uh, with, our, with our votes and everything else to see the government actually help care for women that are in vulnerable situations that don't think that they have any other way? How are we as the church going to step into those situations to not just talk about it with our mouth but actually pull out our pocketbooks and our time and calendars to help women that are in vulnerable situations? How are we going to stand up against men that are pressuring their significant others or girlfriends to actually go and have an abortion? Are we going to step into these roles, church? We have to. And we have. I'm not going to hang my head as a Christian. Quite honestly, Christians do way better than folks that are irreligious. Did you know that Christians are more than twice as likely to have adopted a child? than those who are irreligious? Did you know that Christians are more than twice as likely to step into foster care as well? Church, we can be proud of that, but we can't hang our hat on that. There's still work to do. That's why we have things like the Belong Project, why we're engaging in foster care ministries here at the church. It's why it's one of our passions. So many of you are already involved. Let's have more of us engaging. But when I also say that we have to be whole pro-life, that means that we've got to think about other stuff as well. A couple weeks ago, um, I won't, I'm not going to say who or where, but a pastor who's in West Michigan took the first seven minutes before he started his sermon, and he wanted to talk about abortion and why he's pro-life and why their church is pro-life. And it was great. Everything that he said, I totally agreed with. My problem that I had, though, was that was the week after the Uvalde school shooting that had just happened in Texas. And he spent seven minutes talking about why he's pro-life, therefore anti-abortion, and didn't mention a dang thing about the fact that there were 20-some people that had just been killed, most of them kids, due to gun violence. And I know why he didn't, because I know where he preaches. And I know that that would not have gone over very well in his congregation if he said, we can't just care about abortion, we also got to care about gun rights. If we're going to be pro-life, it's got to come from Scripture. And if Scripture says that we actually are uh, uh, imbued with the image of God and therefore we have to protect life and the vulnerable, then we've got to care about abortion 1,000%. And we also have to ask good, hard questions about gun control and about refugees and immigrants at our border and in our communities. We've got to care about mental health issues as well. Those are the things that we've got to stand up against. Now, I may have, my point in doing this is not to anger anybody. I'm not trying to tick anybody off. You don't need to send me, you know, an email with a link to this article. I've been reading all of them, okay? These are nuanced issues that require good thinking, but we have to be Christians before we are Americans. we got to care about the Bible more than we care about the Constitution. We are not Americans first. We are Christians, which means that we are people of the book. And we've got to crave pure spiritual milk that's going to help us think godly, think biblical, think the way Jesus would think in these situations. I'm not telling you that you can't have differing opinions than I do. All I'm saying is don't simply say, well, the Second Amendment gives me this right. Do you know how many rights Jesus had? That he laid down, sacrificed his freedom so that we could find freedom? We as Christians have to be the same way. We got to care about it. 
And so I'm thrilled, honestly. And I don't care if you want to say, oh, you're a man, boo on you. I'm going to care about women's rights 1,000%. And I'm going to care about the rights of the unborn. And I'm going to be about trying to protect the innocent, the poor, the vulnerable, whether they're, I'm dealing with gun control or refugees and immigrants because that's what I think it really does mean to be a person of the book that craves pure spiritual milk that's growing up. And friends, that's what we've got to be as a church. So I'm not trying to get anybody riled up or anybody angry at me. I'm a hunter. I got a rifle. I'm not anti-gun. But I am saying I want to be pro-life from the beginning to the end. And that means we've got to be morally integrous and logically consistent in how we approach these issues. All right, church, let me pray. We're going to sing one last song and take communion together. So if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Jesus before you take those elements. <laughs> Father God, we, uh, our whole desire, Lord, is to honor you. God, that's what we care about more than anything. Jesus, we won't pretend that these issues are easy issues. Now, these are hard issues, difficult issues. Jesus, help us step out. Help us lay down our lives for the sake of others just because that's what you did for us. God, your church should be at the forefront of defending the unborn and the immigrant and refugee, the forefront of caring for women, the forefront of helping people with mental health issues. God, we, we need to be the church, your hands and feet. It's what you did, Jesus. Help us to know how best to do that, how to love our neighbors, God, as we would love ourselves. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the challenge. God, let us choose you over our country. Let us choose you over our politics. Let us choose you over our social agendas. God, let us choose you. Let us choose you first. Let us choose you last. Help us, dear Lord, please.